you're an idiot. Not you, by the way. Uh, the young man that said this to me was about 17 years old. He was sitting in my office right, right across from me. And uh, he didn't really want to be there. His life was a disaster. He'd been in trouble. Life was falling apart. And his mom made him come talk to the youth pastor because, of course, I could fix him. Um, you're an idiot, he said. And I, I knew he didn't want to be there, but I think the fact that he was there made him realize that he, he might as well be honest in this conversation with me. Now, before you think ill of him, you should know that he wasn't actually directing those words toward me. You're an idiot was really self-reflection. What he was saying was reflecting a conversation that he had had with a friend. He thought it was nine or ten years old, and his friend had said, you're an idiot. And I don't know if the friend was serious or the friend was joking, and I don't think it actually matters because ten years later, nine, ten years later, what this young man was saying to me was, I am an idiot. Those words were just hanging on to his life. My friend was right, he said. I am just an idiot. My heart broke. The power words have. You ever think about that? The power of words? As we continue to explore what the Bible says about kindness this month, it seemed like the power of words was something we should, we should talk about. We should search Scripture about. So that's what we're going to do today. Would you pray with me? Holy God, speak to us with your words. Your words of love and goodness. Your words that call us to witness and to accountability. Open our ears to, for each one of us to hear the message that you would have for us today and fill us again with your love and your grace that we might take it out and be kind to others and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to try a little thought experiment this morning. Um, let me invite you right now to think about a good and kind and uplifting word that has been spoken to you that you carry around in your life. Think right now of, of something kind and good that has been said to you. And then as you're thinking about that, think about who said it? What was the occasion? What were the words that they said? How did the, how did the words make you feel? Can you experience those feelings now as you, as you hear those, those words again ringing in your ears when you think of what he or she said to you? If your mind could go there, it feels pretty good, right? 
to remember the compliments people have given us or the, the encouragement or the, the words of support. Now, what if we do the opposite? I want you to, to just think for a moment of, of something someone has said to you that was hurtful or mean. What did they say? How did they say it? Why did they say it? How do those words make you feel? Can you still feel those hurtful words even now? Okay, enough of that feeling. Let it go. Let's get back to the kind and encouraging words. Right? I, I can stand up here and feel, feel that, both the good and, and the negativity when we, when we think that way. So I just want you to hear right now, so we're in a place to hear the rest of this message, hear these words, you are loved, you matter. You are forgiven, you are special. This is the truth. None of those ugly words you may have heard or that you may have been thinking about. You've probably heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Maybe you were even taught to say it as a, as a kid, as a, essentially a defensive device. And as a defensive device, this, this saying, it, it may have some purpose to try and keep us from, from letting the words that others say when we're kids to sink in. But in reality, this statement, it's, it's BS. Sorry, Mom. I'm not supposed to say that. Right? It's, as we think about the, what the Bible says today, we need to name this truth. Words hurt. Words can cause lasting damage. Words can lead to years of therapy to undo the simplest thing somebody said to us and rediscover self-worth and meaning. Words, words can tear apart communities, which is why the use of the words by the people of God is a topic that comes up in the Old and the New Testaments. Today, we're just going to look at the book of James for a moment as a launching point to think about the words that we say in any given conversation. James is, is written to a young church, figuring out how to live in the way of Jesus. We know from the context of the whole letter that there were some divisions, some, some struggles within and so James is, is really direct. It's one of the things I like about the letter to James. He doesn't mince any words. He is, he's going to go right at the issues. He's direct and clear, and he says, true faith, true faith isn't just found in what you think. It is found in the way that you live your life, how you act, how holy you are in your daily life. James applies this to the words that we use in our lives. In the very first part of his letter, chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves 
and their religion is worthless. Pretty direct, huh? James says that our tongues can make our religion worthless. So, do you ever spend time thinking about the words you use in any given day or in any given conversation? And I just wonder if, if we did, as followers of Jesus, all the followers of Jesus all around the world, if, if we all took time to really think about the words that we were saying, particularly the words that we were saying outside of the home and into the, into the world in, in public, what would the world look like if we all really thought about the words that we were saying? What would the church look like if we really thought about the words we were saying? This is what James invites followers of Jesus to do, to think about words. In his letter then, it picks this topic back up in chapter 3. If you want to follow along, we start right in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We pastors don't like to, to teach this one because, like, oh, yeah, okay. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, James goes on to say, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been trained by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now we might ask, does James mean that we should all just cut out our tongues because they're evil? Some of you might enjoy that kind of silence, I don't know. But I think what James does do is invite us through these words, right? He's all these examples, bits in the mouths of, of animals and a small spark that starts a fire in the rudder of a ship. He uses all of these metaphors to invite us to think about the words we say, to realize how quickly and how easily those words can inflict pain, can bring the fires of hell into the world. James invites us to think about what we say, all that we say. And within this, James invites us to think and reflect that any words that curse another child of God, 
made in the image and likeness of God or lead to strife and division. They dishonor God. They take the power right out of our praise. They take the power right out of our witness to God's glory. In this way, James is echoing the very words of Jesus who spoke to the same topic in Matthew chapter 12, starting in, in verse 33. Jesus says this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I read these words of Jesus, and as the teacher from James, I go, yikes. There's some words that I'm going to have to account for. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a passage like this in Scripture, I, I find it really easy to apply it to the hurtful things other people say. Anybody do that? You read something in Scripture and you're like, yeah, those people should stop saying those hurtful things and those hurtful words. Those people should stop causing division in our world. But the truth is, the truth is Jesus invites me too to start with myself, to, to ask about the words that I am using and saying. And Jesus invites you, too, to realize that you, too, are going to count for what you say. We will account for the posts that we put on social media. We will account for the, for the things that we say in the heat of arguments and frustration. We will account for the gossip that we become a part of. We will account for the things that we speak of as though we're the final authority, even though we have little context or, or experience to even speak into it. So we might ask, I mean, we sit here and, and, and we know we desire for our hearts to be good. We, we talk as a church. We gather on Sunday mornings because, because what is, is, is in our hearts is good. So how do, we, how do we watch what we say so that's what we put into the world? With a, with a little search through scriptures, I just want to share this morning sort of five things that come from the scriptures. Think of it as five principles or, or five questions to evaluate the words we say. We're not going to talk about these scriptures, but there are a couple that, that really invite us to, you know, when we're frustrated or when we're about to speak, that the Proverbs in particular tell us that, whoa, you know, be silent. There is wisdom in being silent. Why? Well, because if we're silent, then we can take just a moment and think about what we're going to say. So in those silent moments before we speak, here are five principles we can use. The first one is this. 
Are the words that I am saying driven by selfish ambition or unselfish intention? Are the words I'm about to say driven by selfish ambition or unselfish intention? Am I sharing what I'm about to say to say, look at how great I am, look at how great my family is, look at, look at me? Or am I saying what I'm about to say to bring glory to God? Or with the intention to help or guide someone else? In the letter of James, he says this in chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is what he says after he talks about the tongue. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Are our words driven by selfish ambition or are they filled with humility and a desire to serve the other? Principle number two, are the words I am sharing intentionally or unintentionally false or are they true? Are they lying lips or honest evidence? There is so much information out there today. It is easy to throw things on in the world without asking if it's true. But the Bible invites us to be careful with the words that we use and what we share, what we say. Proverbs 10, 18 to 19, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Proverbs 12, 17 says, Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. The second question to ask as we put any words out into the world, is it, is it true? Does it reflect truth? Have we taken the time to, to know that? Principle number three, as we think about what we say, the words we use, will these words increase conflict or will they promote healing? Proverbs 12, 18, will these, er, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Then Proverbs 16, 23 to 24 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 
Isn't that the kind of words you want to hear? Like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. It then goes on to say this, verse 16, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. If at our dinner tables we share news about something going on in someone's life, I don't know about your dinner table, sometimes we talk about things going on in, in people's lives. And I, this question I think we can ask anytime we're having that conversation. Like, Scripture invites us to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of, of this sharing of these words that, that we are sharing? Right? Are we, are we sharing the news so that we can, so that we can pray for someone? to find a way to healing together? Because that's ministry. Right? Or, or are we sharing the news to just stir things up? Because we think, oh yeah, you should know this because I know this and isn't this scandalous? Because that, that is gossip. Are we sharing things to stir up conflict? Will the words stir conflict or will they promote healing? Principle number four, are these words tearing down or are they building up? Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter four, but we kind of glanced over verse 29 on purpose because I knew I was coming back to it today. In the English Standard Version, uh, it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. What would happen if we asked this of, of every word we shared with others? Is this building someone else up or is it tearing them down? Is this building someone up or is it tearing them down? I don't remember where I learned this, but one of the, way, one of the things I think of when I think about building up or tearing down is, is the simple use of, of the word but. B-U-T, by the way, not B-U-T-T. The use of the word but. And, uh, and how we use this word in times of conflict or tension in conversation. I want just to give you an idea, listen to these two sentences. Ready? Here's the first one. I know you think Cubs fan, you Cubs fans think that the Cubs are the greatest baseball team in the world, but I think the Cardinals are the greatest team in the world. All right, now listen again. I know you Cub fans think the Cubs are the greatest baseball team in the world, and I think that the Cardinals are the greatest team in the world. Do you hear the difference? It's really subtle, but it can, I think, have real impact when we're in conversation with someone, particularly when we don't necessarily agree. In the first sentence, by using the word but, what I am doing is devaluing your opinion. You like that you think the Cubs are the greatest, but the but implies you're wrong I'm tearing you down so that I can lift up my opinion, which is that the Cardinals are the greatest team, because everybody knows that, right? Tearing down so I can build up. If we'll just switch that word, it isn't even about the word so much as it's switching our thinking. 
I, think, I know that you think that the Cubs are the greatest team. And I'm not devaluing that. And I think that the Cardinals are the greatest team. And now we can have a conversation where I haven't torn you down. I've invited you to, to have a conversation with me where we can hopefully build each other up and educate each other and learn together. Are your words tearing down or are they building up? Which leads us to principle number five, which maybe, maybe is one that encompasses all the others. If you don't remember the first four when you get home, hang on to number five, which is this. Are the words that I'm about to speak, are they about judgment or are they about grace? Is what I am about to say or saying or thinking about saying something that will, that will sow grace into God's kingdom or make me the judge? Will these words spread goodness and kindness or will they, they stand in judgment and condemnation? Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety weighs down the hard heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Now, Jesus, we know, spoke truth to those that he encountered but he did so with a motivation grounded not in judgment, but in the promise of salvation. He did so not simply with condemnation, but with, with grace. He wanted people to hear the good news of God's love, and he didn't want anything to stand in the way of that. So when we think about the words that we're sharing words that we have said, we're probably going to realize that we too have some struggles with our words. I really think if you haven't hurt somebody at some point with your words, you're probably not human. Jesus and James, they share what they do because for whatever reason, hurtful words seem to be part of the part of the human condition. Maybe, maybe for some of us, this is in, in lying or not checking if things that we are sharing are the truth. Maybe for some of us, this, these messages invite us to, to think about our own hypocrisy. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we're, we're realizing how our words have torn others down or how our participation in gossip has stirred up conflict and discord. Maybe we're realizing how judgmental we've been with our words. I, Cheryl can tell you, over this last week as I've prepared to preach, about every day I pause and I go, oh, those words are judgmental. In all those areas of our own struggle and our own sin, we do really well to remember Jesus' last words, some of his last words on the cross. For those that know the story, do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is our model. In the midst of the tension, in the midst of the worst of humanity, Jesus didn't condemn. He didn't throw back hate. He didn't rain down judgment even on those that were crucifying him. He could have. Instead, his words were full of grace. So what about our words? Will they be full of grace? May our words, may our words extend unselfish intention instead of reflecting selfish ambition. May our words present truth in place of furthering lies. May our words promote healing in place of increasing conflict. May our words build up instead of tearing down. And may our words speak grace instead of judgment. Today, may we be reminded by the words of Scripture that our words have power. And may we carry in our words the power of the grace, love, and forgiveness of Jesus. Amen.